This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is Wednesday, April 12th, 2023, and that means it is once again DCA Wednesday. Before we get into all that, a quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, Bitcoin is sitting at a block height of 785,148, and Bitcoin is ringing in at a US dollar value of $29,920 per Bitcoin down just a little bit. It had breached that all-important $30,000 number um, yesterday, and it had been above that until just recently. We've seen a little bit of a pullback, which is good because I want to buy as many sats as possible. And speaking of sats, that $29,920 figure will score you 3,342 sats per US dollar. And speaking of blocks, TikTok next block, we are currently 54,852 blocks away from the next halving. As you know, or maybe don't know, every approximately four years, um, Bitcoin adjusts the, or halves, the amount of Bitcoin that miners receive as a reward for mining a new block in half. Uh, And uh, that is currently looking like it's going to happen on April 20th, 420 of 2024. So just barely over a year from now. Uh, We've been seeing that move forward, though, because, again, it's not based on calendar time. It's based on block time. And um, because blocks have been coming in faster than the 10-minute target, as more hash power has been added to the network, uh, that target date's moved up. We saw it move up from, oh, well, the end of April to April 22nd and then to April 21st. Spent three weeks looking like it was going to be April 21st. And then I think last week we saw it move up to April 20th. And it's still looking like it's going to occur on April 20th, although we won't really know until it is, you know, the day of of the halving, really, because uh, that is completely subject to how fast new blocks are mined. Bitcoin's almost $30,000 price is giving it a market capitalization of $578.8 billion. That is $35.2 billion more than last week's uh, market cap. And that makes no, I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? That makes sense. If Bitcoin's more valuable, market cap is going to go up because market cap is basically a function of current share price or current uh, coin price, in this case, multiplied by the number of Bitcoin in existence. Uh, And a lot of people have problems with the market capitalization statistic because, for example, if all 21 million Bitcoin, well, there's only 19 or million Bitcoin or whatever uh, in in circulation right now, uh, and a lot of those are lost or haven't moved in years and years and years, but if every Bitcoin that was available to sell, every Bitcoin that's been mined and that hasn't been lost, all of a sudden got dumped on the market, obviously that would cause the price to go down. You'd never get $578.8 billion worth of Bitcoin sales as a result. But, you know, it, it does give people an idea of uh, just how much money is, has been invested in the network. Although that's not even true because uh, I haven't converted you know, nearly as much money into Bitcoin as it might look like based on, you know, whatever the current value of Bitcoin is. Certainly when it hits a new all-time high uh, and everybody, everybody literally will be in the green, uh, you know, it will be worth more than the money that they've actually put into it. So think what you want about the market capitalization statistic. But at this moment, it is $578.8 billion. 
And that is pretty significant. Uh, hopefully before, um, before the halving or sometime around the halving, when Bitcoin returns to not quite its previous all-time high, but just in the $50,000 range even, uh, we'll eclipse that $1 trillion market capitalization. And even if you don't think market capitalization, market, cap, market capitalization means anything, that it's an important statistic, the talking heads pay to it. You know, MSNBC plays to it, the Financial Times, uh, and the financial media pays attention to it. So when we bust $1 trillion market cap again, uh, people, will, people will go nuts. Uh, you'll see a lot a lot of more attention poured on, on Bitcoin, a lot more positive attention, a lot less FUD. For those of you who value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, it will currently cost you 14.8 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. That is one entire more ounce more than it would have cost last week. You know, while Peter Schiff's out there doing victory laps because gold broke $2,000 an ounce uh, during all this inflation, uh, that's nothing compared to the returns, obviously, you would have seen from Bitcoin. And you can tell from this one simple statistic that even with the price of Bitcoin going up, it's trending downward in Bitcoin terms uh, from 13.8 ounces for one Bitcoin uh, to 14.8 ounces per one Bitcoin. So it takes, uh, you know, more and more, more and more gold to purchase Bitcoin uh, if you value your wealth in shiny yellow metal. For those who value your wealth in pizzas, one Bitcoin will currently score you 1,772 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. A heck of a lot more pizza than Laszlo got that very first Bitcoin pizza day when he paid $10,000, sorry, 10,000 Bitcoin for, uh, which is worth a heck of a lot more than $10,000 now, uh, for just two large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's uh, or whatever type of pizza he got. I don't think they were pepperoni. Uh, but I digress. The point being, one Bitcoin will currently score you just shy of five years worth of pizza. You can feed a family of four once a day for 4.8 years, just 53, sh 53 pizzas shy of five years worth of pizza for just one Bitcoin. And that is a lot of real world value. That is a lot of food security for just one Bitcoin. And looking at on-chain activity, looking at the mempool, there are currently 74 blocks for the transactions pending in the Bitcoin mempool. That is up again from last week when there were 66 blocks of Bitcoin transactions pending. Um, despite that, though, the despite the fact that there's more on-chain transactions waiting in the mempool to be confirmed, to be written to a block, uh, the fees to guarantee that your Bitcoin transaction is included in the next block are actually down a little bit. Last week, it would have cost you an average of 27 sats per byte to guarantee that your transaction was included on chain. Uh, that's been lowered to about 18 sats per byte. It's still saying that um, five sats per byte will get your transaction included within a day if you have time to wait, to wait or two weeks, sorry, two sats. I'm having a little bit of a hard time talking tonight. Two sats per byte will guarantee your transaction will clear in about a week. Of course, if you have a really important transaction, uh, look at whatever fee estimator you trust and maybe consider using replace by fee so that if your transaction does get stuck in the mempool, you can bump that fee up to guarantee it gets mined. Uh, so uh, I'm assuming a lot of those transactions are still ordinals and inscriptions. I saw something a couple of days ago that ordinals and inscriptions had sagged, had waned for a little bit, but uh, but then maybe they were pumping again because... Uh, there is a lot of on-chain activity right now, but, um, you know, probably not um, enough to cause that balloon in the mempool that we saw where basically 
a one SAT provide transaction would have gotten confirmed uh, within 24 hours, you know, for most of the bear market. And then all of a sudden that just exploded overnight, coinciding with the ordinals and inscriptions thing. So speaking of on-chain activity, that transaction metric that you know I love, my favorite metric to, uh, to contemplate, is Bitcoin's 24-hour on-chain transaction rate. And that is down just a tiny bit from last week, but still just zooming at 3.89 transactions per second. Uh, as you know, if you've been listening to the show, anytime I see more than 3.14 or 3.15 transactions per second, that has usually been indicative of really healthy on-chain activity, a lot of activity on the on you know Bitcoin's main network, as opposed to you know other layers such as the Lightning Network, etc. Um, and that is down a tiny bit, 3.95. But then again, the price of Bitcoin is down just a little bit as well. So 3.89 is certainly really respectable transaction volume for on-chain. Of course, the Lightning Network. Uh, can handle infinitely vastly more transactions per second. Uh, and one day, you know, this on-chain transaction metric won't really mean a whole lot other than that it's securing the network. As I said multiple times, when the average person talks about using Bitcoin, I think they're going to be talking about the Lightning Network or whatever comes along uh, to replace the Lightning Network, potentially other layer two solutions where, um, you know, the blockchain is just used for securing the network or, uh, you know, on-chain transactions are used by governments huge corporations, central banks, et cetera, to move billions or trillions of dollars. And then you and I will be buying our, our coffee or maybe even like a new car and, and be using the Lightning Network. Uh, so those transactions won't reflect, reflect in that on-chain metric. Uh, but Bitcoin will be healthy and we'll be, uh, we'll be seeing a ton of Bitcoin adoption, even if that metric doesn't change. Since last week, in fact, right after the last episode, the difficulty it takes to mine the next block, I had... It was adjusted upwards. We had a difficulty adjustment of of plus 0.2, sorry, 2.2%. Nowhere near as much as the previous difficulty adjustment of 7.6%, but a difficulty adjustment increase nonetheless. As you know, Bitcoin adjusts the difficulty every 2016 blocks, which is theoretically every two weeks. And the idea meaning Bitcoin would like to see a block found on average every 10 minutes. If blocks are coming in faster than that, because more people are mining Bitcoin, more power is being dedicated to that to the network, then the difficulty goes up. It gets harder to mine Bitcoin to try and make that you know average ten minutes. Of course, if hash power comes off the network, if if uh, if it's taking longer than ten minutes to find a block, then that difficulty is decreased. And currently, even with the difficulty increase we just saw, uh, blocks are averaging nine minutes and fifty three seconds. So that means. If that continues, we'll be looking at another difficulty increase in the uh, in the next at the next adjustment, which is currently looking like it's going to be about eight days from now on 420 on April 20th. Uh, of course, that number is subject to change. In a bull market or any time that uh, miners are being added to the network, new miners are being added to the network, more people are getting into mining, more companies are getting into mining, uh, you'd usually tend to see the difficulty um, or the, the time between blocks get faster and faster as more hash rate comes online. And that's why we've been seeing almost nonstop difficulty increases. We have seen decreases in the past. We saw one just a couple of weeks ago. It was like a half a percent decrease. And then we had a couple big decreases during, you know, the China minor FUD. Um, and uh, during the winter of 2021, I believe it was when Texas 
uh, had a you know the ice storms and a lot of Bitcoin miners shut down. Well, everybody shut down because they had no power, which is one of the things that Bitcoin miners have sent stepped up to help take care of with their load balancing, their grid balancing. Uh, but nonetheless, as more Bitcoin mining, uh, more miners get plugged in, more old miners get replaced with newer generation miners that are more efficient. Uh, the amount of hash power securing the Bitcoin network goes up and therefore difficulty to mine the next block goes up. As you recall, or maybe if you don't know, when Bitcoin was first launched, you could mine it on your laptop in a college dorm room uh, and make a lot of money. Make Well, not a lot of money, mine a lot of Bitcoin. Uh, there are people out there with thousands, hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin that they mined, you know, just on their laptop or desktop computer. But as people, more people got into mining Bitcoin, as the Bitcoin network became more popular, uh, you know, application-specific integrated circuits were developed, ASICs, you know, machines dedicated to do one thing only and to mine Bitcoin and do nothing else came along. And those have gotten more and more powerful. You know, they started out as like little USB drives you could plug into your computer. And now they're full on basically computer boxes that, you know, take thousands of watts of electricity and, and mine hundreds of terahashes per second. And, uh, and that's getting better and, and more efficient every day. So that's why the network should continue to increase and gain, uh, gain security and make it harder to attack as a result. All right. Thank you again to those of you listening on podcasting 2.0 apps, such as Fountain App and Breeze Wallet. Uh, reminder, you can earn sats just for listening to your favorite podcasts on Fountain. And most importantly, you can also sell, you can also help support your favorite podcasts by boosting sats or streaming sats. We do not have any boosts to read this week. Uh, I checked just a minute ago to make sure nobody had squeaked one in the last second. And unless I just barely missed it, they have not. Nonetheless, thank you for those of you who are helping support your favorite podcast by streaming sets and listening on Podcasting 2.0. Speaking of those of you listening, the geographic distribution of our listeners is exactly the same as it has been the last four weeks now, four weeks in a row. 51% of you are listening from the United States. 13% of you are listening from Argentina. 7% of you are listening from Germany. 3% of you are listening from Luxembourg. 3% of you are listening from Colombia. 2% of you are listening from Canada, 2% of you are listening from Spain, 2% are listening from Venezuela, 1% of you are listening from Sweden, and 1% of you are listening to the United Kingdom. So, hello, hola, guten tag, etc. to all of you listening all around the world. It's really cool to see where people are listening from. It'd be really cool to see some listeners drop in from Africa and, and other places as well. But for the meantime, our ge geographic distribution of listenership is apparently ossified, uh, but it's pretty cool that it's ossified with half of you not listening in the United States. So I'll take that. That's really cool. So thank you and hello to wherever you're listening from. All right. In the news out there, as usual, the price is the news and the news is the price, right? Bitcoin surged above $30,000 for the first time in months. Uh, obviously, that's not an all-time high, but it's pushing double the low from this cycle. We dropped down to almost almost $15,000 per Bitcoin. Uh, and if you listen to Adam Meister at Tech Vault on Twitter, uh, he thinks that we won't officially be in a, a bull market again until Bitcoin basically doubles its low, which would put it about 32000 and we're getting really close. Pretty much everybody else I know considers uh, considers this to be a bull run, that, that with the price soaring up to over $30,000 of Bitcoin, uh, we're most certainly, we are most certainly bottomed. Um, although, who has a crystal ball, right? There could be some black swan event coming that we don't know about. Uh, that could temporarily tank the price of Bitcoin again. But in the meantime, if Bitcoin follows that four-year halving cycle, the four-year the four-year theory, the 210,000 block theory that Adam Meister again likes to talk about, uh, we should 
go slowly and steadily up and to the right, a little bit of sideways, but some increase until the next halving, which again is approximately a year away, and then usually six to 18 months after the next halving, Bitcoin sets its new all-time high. Uh, it's new all-time, all-time high, not a new all-time high, not not breaking 69,000 per se, but peaking out at whatever the brand new all-time high is going to be until the next bear market, followed by the next bull run. But speaking of news, uh, there's been more and more of that BS, the feds are cracking down on Bitcoin FUD. Uh, and of course, every podcast out there has been talking about that New York Times article that tried to paint Bitcoin mining in a bad light. It was actually really kind of a dud com considering that they had basically leaked word months ago that they were coming for Bitcoin mining and that they were going to dump a huge article on Bitcoin mining, which was going to turn the tides. It was going to expose Bitcoin for what it was. Uh, and that really didn't happen. And people are pretty much mocking the article. They're quoting a bunch of statistics that have been known to be wrong. Um, for years, for months, they're, they're just horrible statistics. A lot of assumptions that they made that are just easily, easy to prove wrong. Uh, and then that photo, the drone photo that they, that they took from, uh, from of, the, uh, of, the, of the riot facility in Texas, making it look like it's one of the most polluted places on earth. When I first looked at it, I, I thought, well, that just looks like a hazy morning. You know, here in Florida, uh, when, the humidity is, when the humidity is near 100%, when the sun first comes up, if you stare at the sun, it's like you're trying to look through a swimming pool. I mean, there's a lot of water in the air, and it, it's really hazy. And, of course, that has nothing to do with pollution. That's just, you know, we're in Florida. And they're in Texas. And you can see a lake in the background and just how lush and green it is around their mine. The power plant that's in the background apparently has been decommissioned for years, uh, and it hasn't you know, it hasn't produced any pollution. So there's also people out there that have, that have done some forensic analysis on the image and they looked at the color spectrum and they were showing that below a certain rate, there's zero color information whatsoever, which would indicate that in addition to shooting into the sun in the haze, that they, they manipulated the photo to make it look even uglier. I don't think anybody cares. I think the normies don't care. I think the normies don't read the New York Times. Pointy-headed liberals read the New York Times. Uh, pretty much no one you know reads the New York Times. They certainly don't read the New York Times in places like Nigeria or El Salvador. I mean, sure, there's copies of the New York Times everywhere, and there's people that read them everywhere. But the average person in the United States does not read the New York Times. And the average person in other countries, even fewer of them read the New York Times. And almost none of them give two rats tail ends about uh, global warming or, or man-made global warming. I mean, if you look at almost anywhere in the developing world or what people are terming the global, the global South, uh, they're worried about eating. They're worried about, you know, having a job. They're worried about feeding their families. Uh, nobody is losing sleep over whether the climate is going to increase in temperature by one degree over the next hundred years. And they care even less about this New York times article. And uh, so I don't care either. And if you've listened to any other podcast out there, I'm sure they've waxed on about this article all week. So I don't need to get into that anymore. All right, so right after the podcast last week, maybe the next day, we got news that Paxful had shut down, and that really didn't have any effect on the Bitcoin price, obviously, because Bitcoin's worth a heck of a lot more uh, since then. But that is sad to see because Paxful was doing a lot in Africa. Uh, Paxful had helped onboard a lot of people to Bitcoin, was helping people in countries that uh, couldn't rely on their currency. For Ni Nigeria, for example, which has almost the same population as the United States, and has some of the mo some of the highest levels of Bitcoin adoption in the world. Uh, we're using Paxful to to buy and trade Bitcoin as a way to survive, uh, because you know their money is basically worthless. 
Um, so unfortunately, that service is gone for them, although it hasn't really had any effect on most people that I know because I've never used Paxful. That was mainly for mainly, mainly for the global south. And, and Bitcoin is for everybody, and, it, and it's really where it's needed the most are in places like Nigeria. So it, it is a shame to see Paxful shut down. But Ray Youssef has been all over podcasts and all over Twitter and apparently has something newer and better planned. Uh, they didn't shut down because of, you know, they weren't shut down by the government and they didn't shut down because they were hacked or because they were a scam. Uh, they shut down because Ray Youssef and his founding partner just had a difference of opinion. There was internal politics going on. Uh, for example, he's suing Ray, uh, et cetera. So they just, they decided they needed to shut the business down. Speaking of things that are rumored to be on shaky ground, there have been lots of rumblings about whether Prime Trust is on shaky ground, whether Prime Trust could go away. That could have a major, although short-term, effect on Bitcoin price and Bitcoin availability because you might not know who Prime Trust is and you might not use Prime Trust or you might not think you're using Prime Trust. But if you're buying Bitcoin through services like Swan or if you're getting it from the Fold Card, there are a lot of services that use Prime Trust to handle their Bitcoin for them because Prime Trust has the money transmission licenses and meets all the regulations all the requirements in state by state basis, which, you know, small companies or even large companies just don't have the time uh, or the, the number of accounts or attorneys to handle. So they let Prime Trust handle, handle the actual moving of Bitcoin for them. Uh, and if they go away, that will make a difference, at least in the short term. And in the news, unemployment is apparently not bad enough for the Fed. Uh, it's pretty much agreed upon that at the next meeting of the Federal Open Market Committee, uh, the Fed is going to increase interest rates by another 0.25% here in the United States. Even if they don't, they're certainly not giving any, giving any, any indication that they're going to start cutting rates. Their targeted goal is to not cut rates until unemployment basically gets high enough that they think that they have inflation under control. And that's pretty messed up. Think about it. Uh, the government really can't do anything to bring unemployment under control other than reduce demand for dollars. They can create inflation by pumping tons of dollars into the market, you know, influencing supply and demand by flooding the market with dollars, but they can't exactly pull the money out of the system quite as easy. So what they want to do is they want to put you out of a job because if you're out of a job, if no one can afford to go to the store, if nobody can afford to buy a new car, if nobody can afford to buy a new house, then supply and demand says prices go down, right? And voila, they saved inflation. That's a pretty evil metric. Uh, you don't have to be an economist to know what happens when a large portion of the people lose their jobs. This reminds me of that famous scene from the movie The Big Short, the just don't dance scene where they're going through the casino, they just close the deal, and the two characters start doing a little dance. And uh, Ben Rickert turns to him and says, don't dance, basically. And, and he says, um, and they're like, why? And he, and he gives that speech, if we're right, people lose their homes, people lose their jobs, people lose retirement savings, people lose pensions. You know what I hate about effing banks? It reduces people to numbers. Here's a number. Every 1% employment goes up, 40,000 people die. Did you know that? And they're like, no, just don't dance, basically. And we already did an episode diving into, um, into the Ben Rickert quote and, and whether it's true. And it is basically true. There are many studies that back it up. Uh, for more information, I don't remember what episode that was off the top of my head, but uh, you can go back and listen to the episode we did on there. You can scroll through our Twitter feed where uh, I quote that quote from the movie and say, is it correct? And, and list a couple articles to explain why, yes, it is. So when you hear Jerome Powell say that unemployment isn't bad enough for him, and that's why they're going to have to increase rates again or why they're not going to decrease rates, that means he wants 40,000 more of you to die. If he wants unemployment to go up 1%, he wants to kill 40 
thousand people. And that is just evil, especially since they freaking did this. It's not you and I, it's not people shopping at Walmart, it's not greedy corporations that cause inflation, it's the fact that we doubled the amount of money in circulation in just a couple of years. It's simple supply and demand, and to then turn around while the fat cats and the bankers are flooded with all this cash they printed, and say, you now have to pay the bill, and not just pay the bill through, you know, higher inflation, but through your life, through people that will die, deaths of despair, uh, deaths of starvation, what whatever it is, the 40,000 people per 1% unemployment, uh, it's just disgusting. And so, Jerome, when you give that speech today, I hope you realize you're killing people. So, CPI numbers did come out today, and they are still through the roof, but they did come in lower for the month of March. Uh, and I guess if you're digging into it, CPI was up 0.1% month over month which they're calling kind of the Goldilocks zone. So while CPI is up over month over month, it did come in lower than expected. Core CPI, which really amuses me because it strips out volatile food and energy. They say inflation isn't that bad if you just don't buy gas, if you just don't buy groceries, right? You know, the things that everybody has to buy, you know, you can hold off buying a new washer and dryer, you can hold off replacing your car, but you gotta buy groceries. And that's where inflation seems to be hitting the common person the hardest. But if you pretend like groceries don't exist, like people don't need to buy groceries, then on, then uh, inflation only rose 5.6% uh, year over year for the month of March. And it, that's better, right? Not only is it lower, it's better than expected. So stock markets rallied. Uh, they, they're calling it the Goldilocks figure, meaning that inflation is, 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 is coming down, but it, unemployment isn't quite through the roof. Uh, and so maybe, just maybe, Jerome Powell won't raise interest rates at this next meeting. Uh, and I guess we shall see. All right, the rest of the news out there, if you're not in Bitcoin, if you're talking about dollars, just continues to get gloomier. The headline in Bloomberg, financial chaos above 12,000 feet. The line, and this is about uh, Bolivia, the capital of Bolivia. Uh, the line starts forming outside the central bank in downtown La Paz in the dead of the night, hunkered down under blankets and sipping hot chocolate to fend off the chill at 12,000 feet up in the Andes. They wait for hours and hours for a chance to get their hands on what has perhaps become the hardest thing to find in all of Bolivia, dollars. Because part of the reason we were able to print so much and not have hyperinflation in the United States is because most of those dollars get exported. They get exported to other countries that need to use dollars to buy oil or to settle international trade. And they get exported to people like these people in La Paz, Bolivia, that, that are trying to save their money in U.S. dollars because even though the dollar is inflating, it's not the inflation isn't as runaway as their currencies are. Uh, so you see that in, in a lot of countries where the currency is collapsing, there's a rush to get into dollars. And then usually what the country does is they impose capital controls where you know it makes it illegal to buy dollars or limits the amount of dollars you can get. Or in this case, as in Bolivia, you just can't get dollars and people are camping out overnight in the shivering cold out front of banks, hoping to get their hands on some U.S. dollars. The article continues, quoting Ishmael Vargas, a lawyer in La Paz, saying, imagine the amount of time we're wasting on a transaction that should be simple. Vargas, a lawyer, stood in line for six hours and in the end was told to come back in seven weeks to get the $5,000 he wanted. Imagine if there was another way, right? Imagine if there was something you could put your money into that wouldn't devalue as fast as the money in Bolivia that you didn't have to wait in line overnight to receive. Hmm. 
you know, they say Bitcoin fixes this. And in that case, Bitcoin would fix that. I don't know how hard it is to onboard and offboard into Bitcoin in Bolivia. But since you can sell Bitcoin on the Internet anywhere in the world, that's exactly the sort of thing that Bitcoin is made for. Uh, it's only a matter of time before adoption kicks off in places like Bolivia. Uh, I hope somebody pointed out to Ishmael, hey, have you considered buying Bitcoin? Maybe they need to orange pill some more people in Bolivia. Also on Bloomberg, tumbling money supply alarms economists who foresaw inflation. Money supply growth is collapsing in the UK, Eurozone, and the US. And they, re and they read that as a warning of recession and deflation. Central bankers have raised interest rates too far. And if the so-called monetarists are proven right again, they say there should be a clear, a clear out of officials. People should get fired, basically. The article continues later. Their, analyst, their analysis jars with the mainstream consensus that economies are starting to pick up and inflation was primarily caused by supply shocks. Read the virus and read Ukraine and energy prices. But for monetarists, growth and inflation are a function of the quantity of money in circulation and its velocity, as in reality, right? As in, if you print more money, you have inflation. The number of times... Monetary velocity, uh, monetary circulation velocity, the number of times it changes hands, those measures are now pointing to a slump. Of course they are. If you're not an idiot, you know that if there's more money in the system, then they can buy fewer goods. If you have more bubblegum on the schoolyard, you can buy fewer baseball cards with it. If you have more cigarettes in the prison yard, you can buy less prison wine with it. It's just common sense to anybody other than an economist, other than a mainstream economist, and other than most of the financial media. Fox News reports, Fox Business reports, IMF trims global growth outlook as banking turmoil raises the risk of a hard landing. The International Monetary Fund on Tuesday cut its global growth outlook for the year, warning the world economy faces the increased risk of a hard landing due to continued fallout from a spate of bank failures, higher interest rates, and stubborn inflation. The contrast is even sharper in developments. I skipped a paragraph here. The contrast is even sharper in developed nations which are struggling to absorb the effects of tighter monetary policy after a decade of ultra-low interest rates. About 90% of advanced economies are expected to see a decline in GDP this year, with the IMF projecting meager growth of just 1.3% in, 2000, in 2023 and 1.4% the next year. So, Jerome Powell, so... Economists, so Keynesians, you're getting exactly what you want. Everybody's getting poorer and they're losing their jobs, even though uh, your fat cat banker friends got richer and richer and richer. And the wealth gap is increasing. And uh, for those of you who think they're just stupid and that they don't know what they're doing, I think they planned this. I, I, you know, I never attribute incompetence to what can easily be explained by malice. It's probably quoting a quote backwards, but I truly believe that. It's kind of like Occam's razor, and in this case, malice. You know, finding it, finding it easier to believe that, th that there are that many evil people is a lot easier to believe that there are that many trained economists, people with PhDs, et cetera, that have been doing this for 30 years that have no idea that they caused inflation by printing money. It's the fact that they're, that they're evil is way easier to believe. Reuters says, Yellen to push next steps for World Bank. And this is the coup de grace. This is the creme de la creme. This is where it gets really entertaining. Meanwhile, and this is my quote, not theirs. 
while the economy is burning, while 90% of global GDPs are going to shrink, while inflation is still through the roof, even if it is only 5.6% month over month or year over year, the United States Treasury is tackling, you guessed it, climate change. Because, you know, we don't have a Department of the Interior. We don't have an Environmental Protection Agency. The one arm of the United States government whose job is to make sure we don't have too much carbon dioxide in the air, you guessed it, the Treasury. Uh, the article states, U.S. Treasury Janet Yellen on Wednesday will host, that's today, I guess, will host a roundtable discussion on further steps to evolve the World Bank and other, developed, and other development leaders to tackle climate change. The article goes on to say the World Bank proposes balance sheet changes that would quickly allow it to lend an additional $50 billion over 10 years while maintaining its top-tier AAA credit rating, a step widely expected to be adopted by bank shareholders this week. U.S. Treasury officials have called the move a down payment on the reforms of the World Bank and other multilateral blah, blah, blah. Basically, the long and the short of it is they're going to loan a bunch of countries they know can't pay back the money, $50 billion, uh, and they're and then the whole purpose behind it is to ram car, uh, carbon credits and climate change legislation down their throats. All right. Why are we here? We're here because you're into Bitcoin, because you took the orange pill, because you want as much information about Bitcoin. You want to digest every news article you can read, every podcast you can listen to. But we're also here because it's Wednesday, and Wednesdays for us is DCA Wednesday or Dollar Cost Average Wednesday. Dollar Cost Average, of course, being, quote, an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this will be our 90th stack. We started stacking Bitcoin every Wednesday starting on July 28th, 2021. So getting close to that two-year mark here a couple of months from now, uh, we'll have our two-year anniversary beginning this. So in that 90 Wednesdays, uh, well, this will be our 90th Wednesday. In those 89 Wednesdays, stacking just $20 at a time, we've stacked 1,780 US dollars and turned it into Bitcoin, including about $40.50 worth of fees. That has gifted us a stack of 6,176,915 sats. And the reason why I wanted to uh, demonstrate dollar cost averaging by buying just $20 of the Bitcoin is I wanted to show that you're not too late, that if you're poor and can only scrape together $20 a week, that it is not too little. Even investing as little as $20 every Wednesday can still build you a respectable stack of Satoshis. And in less than two years, we've already demonstrated that, I think. Uh, you know, right now, uh, we're, we're pretty much just about broken even. But, you know, if, even if Bitcoin were just, even if we were just broken even, even if we'd only stacked $1,780 of the Bitcoin, uh, if you're the sort of person that was having trouble coming up with $20, I guarantee having $1,780 in your savings account and my what savings kind of mean your hardware wallet, hopefully uh, that that is an amount of money that could potentially be life changing. Uh, and we're going to add to that stack today. And we're going to do so today again, using the cash app. And uh, there's a number of reasons I like the cash app and I've spoken about them almost every episode, but what's important is that you pick an app or a brokerage that you feel meets your needs. And, you know, cash app isn't even available everywhere, but for the 51% of you listening in the United States, it is. And if you don't already have an app that you chose and you want to use Cash App, there is a referral in the show code in the show notes, a referral code in the show notes. If you click on that link when you sign up for Cash App, you'll get $5 free for signing up. Cash App is not a sponsor. Anyone that has a Cash App account has a referral code so they can help onboard their friends and family. 
Uh, but for you, if you click on that link and you sign up, you'll get $5 free and the podcast will get $5, $5 free as well. So you'll get free money. You'll actually be getting paid $5 to help support the podcast. So if you haven't gotten Cash App already and you want to, again, do your own research, pick a, an app or an exchange that fits, fits your needs. If it's Cash App, please click on that referral code in the show notes. So while I've been yammering, I've already added $20 to Cash App and I'm going to click buy Bitcoin. $20, enter confirm, and boom, just like that, we purchased another 65,340 sets, and that is depressing in some ways because, you know, what, uh, you know, I've been used to getting 70,000 or 80,000 or 100,000 sats for a $20 investment, uh, and as Bitcoin goes up, you know, you're going to get fewer and fewer sats for that, for that investment, for that, for those cuck bucks that you're, that you're trading into Bitcoin. Uh, but that's going to increase our stack to 6,242,255 sets. We've now invested 1,800 US dollars in total and at an average cost basis of $28,835.73. So that is obviously less than what Bitcoin is worth. So our Bitcoin is worth more than $1,800, more than $1,800. It did raise our average cost basis again. Uh, you know, two weeks ago, it raised it by $2. This week, it raised it by almost $20, $18.76. And as Bitcoin begins its bull market, as it gets more and more expensive, unfortunately, that's going to, it's going to increase our average cost basis. But that's the cool thing about dollar cost averaging is when we first purchased our very, our very first stack, uh, what was Bitcoin worth? Bitcoin cost somewhere in the name of 30, somewhere almost $40,000, And so by buying every Wednesday, we bought all the way down. We bought, you know, we bought the high, but we also bought the low. And so we bought at an average price of of only $28,835. If you had YOLO'd that entire entire $1,800 in uh, to Bitcoin on July 20th, 2021, uh, that would have purchased you a stack at the time of 4,532,178 sats. That is 1,710,077 sats fewer than what we got by dollar cost averaging. So besides the fact that we've shown that by investing as little as $20 a week into Bitcoin, you can build a sizable, respectable stack in relatively short order. uh, We've also shown that we did better than YOLOing in. Uh, You know, we would have purchased it at that that average price of 39,716, which in, in a couple of weeks probably will be in the money as well. But um, certainly not as good, as well as that $28,000 cost average that we have. All right. So, um, you know, the show got off to a, a little bit of a late start. There were a couple of things that hampered me getting the show done earlier today. Um, it's been very windy for the last several days. There's a tropical storm trying to form up in the Gulf of Mexico. And it's, uh, you know, whenever a tropical storm is like a hurricane is a low pressure system. And so air just rushes towards the center of that low. That means it's been rushing right over us. And we've had almost tropical storm force winds sustained for like the last three days. If you remember last podcast, I had that oak tree banging into the into the wall of the studio, which I actually couldn't hear uh, in the recording. So the noise canceling did a good job of scrubbing that out. And so that, um, so that was going on. And then uh, the wind kind of let up for a little bit, but we've had thunderstorms. And then there's an air show in town this weekend. So the, the Thunderbirds, the United States Air Force Thunderbirds are in town. And I don't care how well insulated your studio is 
an F-16 or a bunch of F-16 screaming overhead just a couple hundred feet above you, uh, it, that is freaking loud. And, and there is no recording studio or software that I have access to that would have been able to drown that out. So it's funny. It was one thing after another. So we're getting a later start than normal. This probably will not be posted before midnight. I apologize if you're listening to this on Thursday. Then happy DCA Thursday, right? Ha ha. Just kidding. We did get our stack in on Wednesday, and that's all that really matters. And a lot of my listeners don't listen to the podcast, you know, on, on Wednesday. Either. Anyway, they listen to it throughout the week. So hello to you wherever you are, whenever you're listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience and me getting this one uh, recorded just a little bit later than normal. Uh, but uh, but don't forget, I do want to hear what you think about the show. You can do that by, you know, sending us a boostergram on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, preferably Fountain app, so it gets included in the, you know, it gets attached to the actual episode. Uh, otherwise, sometimes it's hard for me to see that you sent a boost if you use Breeze, for example. Uh, and also, you can reach out to us on Twitter. My Twitter is at BTC Bulletin Pod. And if you don't have Twitter, you can send me an email. And of course, my email address is uh, Bitcoin Bulletin at protonmail.com and again that's bitcoin bulletin at protonmail.com so comment on one of my twitter posts send me a dm or, or send me an email or send us a boost and let me know what you think uh, but either way we'll see you next wednesday and every wednesday while we continue to grow this stack while we continue to test out dollar cost averaging theory and while we continue to buy as many sats as we can before it goes to the moon till that time though keep on stacking those sats you sexy sat stackers <laughs>